On March 14, 2018, the most famous astrophysicist of our lifetime, Stephen Hawking, the one living scientist that more people worldwide could name than anyone else, finally lost his battle with ALS and passed away. His scientific and science communication legacies will long outlive him as he's helped bring the story of black hole singularities and the universe to the general public in an unprecedented way since Carl Sagan did the generation before. But what was Stephen Hawking's greatest scientific contribution? And what is the Hawking radiation that you've heard so much about? Find out on this edition of the Starts With a Bang podcast. While Hawking might be known by the general public just as much for his science communication efforts, his books, his television programs, his media appearances, and overcoming his disability in so many meaningful ways, scientifically, he's most well known for his contributions to general relativity, theoretical physics, and cosmology. His research began in relativity, where he was concerned with singularities. You see, what had happened years before Hawking ever grew to prominence is there was a resurgence due to a man named John Wheeler in black holes. At the same time that Wheeler was making his theoretical physics advances in the study of these objects, quantum field theory and the standard model were also being created over on the particle physics side. It would be the combination of these two ideas, black holes from relativity on one hand and particle physics and quantum field theory on the others that would lead to Stephen Hawking's greatest scientific breakthrough. In the context of Einstein's general relativity, our theory of gravitation, black holes had a few very specific properties. One was that black holes were absolutely static over time. If you had a black hole, whether that was massive or low in mass, whether it was rotating or not, whether it had electric or any other type of charge on it, it didn't change over time. It was static. It was also known that black holes had what's called no hair, which is to say, if you imagine a ball with hair on it, you could comb that hair in any variety of directions. You could cause swirls on the surface, you could cause spikiness, you could cause all sorts of external properties to arise from it. But black holes had no hair, which is to say, all of their properties were defined by just those three quantum numbers, mass, charge, and angular momentum, and that's it. And it was when thinking about this in the context of quantum physics that scientists started to notice something had to be awry. Quantum theory gave us the idea that it wasn't just large systems of particles that had thermodynamic properties like temperature and heat and entropy, but rather that there was a quantum origin that individual particles and individual particles interacting with other particles had these quantum numbers themselves. So if you would think about creating a black hole, 
for example, out of a certain amount of mass, you would expect that what you made that black hole out of, whether the gas you made it from was hot or cold, whether it was absolute zero or whether it was an ionized plasma, or whether it was configured in some diffuse, unrelated configuration, or was arranged in a very specific fashion, like in a book or in a human being, you know there would be a different amount of information and a different amount of entropy associated with those various configurations. But this posed a problem because you can make a black hole out of anything with mass. And like we just said, the quantum numbers for a black hole, things like mass, charge, and angular momentum, they don't care what you made that black hole out of. So in a black hole, all of these things you could make it out of would somehow appear the same. Whether you made a black hole out of gas at absolute zero on one hand, which would have zero entropy, or you made it out of a human being at a high non-zero temperature, which would have a tremendous amount of entropy, somehow, once you made it into a black hole, these properties and their entropies would somehow be identical. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that there is no way to decrease the entropy of the universe as time goes forward. If you were to naively calculate the entropy for a black hole in general relativity, you would find that it was zero. And that, of course, can't be true. If you throw any matter into a black hole, if the black hole's entropy were zero, that would be an easy, surefire, and straightforward way to decrease the entropy of the universe and to do it arbitrarily. So what we realized we needed early on is you have to have a way to define entropy for a black hole, and it has to be non-zero, because when you add mass into a black hole, the entropy can only stay the same or go up. In other words, you can make black hole entropy proportional to some property of the black hole, but it can't simply be zero. The solution and the assignment that people were making at the time was to make black hole entropy proportional to the size of the event horizon, to make it proportional to a black hole surface area. And this made a lot of sense. If you define entropy in that way, what it basically says is the number of quantum bits you can fit across the surface area of a black hole will allow you to define define what the entropy is. If you make a black hole's entropy proportional to its surface area, that's a way that you will never decrease the entropy of the universe by throwing more and more mass into a black hole. In fact, that's the maximum value that we can assign entropy to. But this introduced a brand new problem. If you think classically in terms of general relativity, black holes don't change over time. They have zero temperature and therefore zero entropy. 
But if all of a sudden you assign an entropy to a black hole, if you tell me this object in space has an entropy, then by definition, it also has a temperature. And if anything in the universe has a temperature, even if it's completely black, then by definition, it has to radiate as well. There's this idea that if you have a black body at a certain temperature, it's going to radiate in a certain fashion. This is known as black body radiation, and it explains everything from why lava glows red, to why the burner on your stove gets hot, to why the sun and all the stars emit light the way they do. Black body radiation is an inevitable property of everything with a temperature in the universe. So all of a sudden, a black hole must be radiating as well, and that tells us it isn't a static system. It has to be changing over time. So now we have a new problem to figure out. How does a black hole actually radiate, and what does this radiation imply? This is where Stephen Hawking's greatest breakthrough originated. Hawking's biggest contribution to physics would occur in 1974 when he was still only 32 years old but had already lost most of his motor control due to the symptoms of ALS. What Hawking said was, let's consider the quantum vacuum. Normally, when you think about empty space itself, you know it can't be completely empty because it's filled with all the quantum fields the universe admits, including the fields of electromagnetism, the strong and weak nuclear forces, as well as any quantum effects arising from gravitation itself. Hawking stuck to mostly the electromagnetic fields here, but what he noticed was if you consider the quantum vacuum as particle-antiparticle pairs popping into existence very briefly due to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, what tells you that a change in energy and therefore a change in mass multiplied by a change in time is inherently uncertain, then you realize these particle-antiparticle pairs can pop into existence stick around for a very brief while dependent on their mass and then annihilate away again. As long as this happens in a short enough amount of time, the universe can't avoid it. So Hawking said if we calculate the quantum vacuum in flat space, the background what we call Minkowski space in relativity, you'll get a certain solution. You'll get a certain set of answers for how the quantum vacuum behaves. But if you consider this in a curved background, if instead of in flat Minkowski space, you considered it outside the event horizon of a black hole in what we call Schwarzschild space, you get a very different answer. Hawking did this calculation outside the event horizon and found there was a very substantial difference in how the quantum vacuum behaves when it's close to a large mass. In fact, the more space is curved, the greater the differences would turn out to be. And in particular, here were the differences that he found.
He found that when you have a large mass around you, when you have a large mass, if you go far away from the black hole to where it looks flat, to where space looks asymptotically flat, you will see thermal emission of black body radiation emanating from that black hole. That radiation is going to have a temperature, and that temperature is dependent on the black hole's mass in an unintuitive way. The lower the mass of the black hole, the higher the temperature of the black hole is. And the reason is that lower mass black holes have smaller event horizons and space is curved more severely there. What we learn from that is that as you emit this radiation, you lose mass. Because of Einstein's E equals mc squared, this energy you're radiating away must come from somewhere. And the only place it can come from in this curved space is the mass of the black hole. That has to be the root source of the radiation. This is interesting because as you emit this radiation, you lose mass and therefore you'll emit radiation faster over time. Your black hole can't live forever and will instead decay. As your black hole loses mass, it shrinks faster and faster. And what we get from this is that the time that a black hole can live has to be finite. It's proportional to its mass cubed. A black hole with the sun's mass would live for about 10 to the 67 years. But a black hole like the one at the center of our galaxy, which is 4 million times as massive, will live 10 to the 20 times as long. will live around 10 to the 87 years. The more massive your black hole is, the longer it lives, and that factor of its lifetime will go up by its mass cubed. When Hawking came up with this idea, he talked about visualizing it as these particle-antiparticle pairs popping in and out of existence. And the way he conceived radiation would arise is that right at the edge of the event horizon, if you had a particle-antiparticle pair pop into existence with one member of the pair falling into the event horizon and the other one escaping, that could be the origin of radiation. Now, the problem with Hawking's picture is it implies two things that are incorrect. One would be that it would be actual particles coming out of the black hole, and it isn't. It isn't matter or antimatter particles. It's black body radiation. It's photons. It's neutrinos. It's things with zero or almost zero masses that emanate from it. So it's not particles or antiparticles. The second thing that Hawking got wrong with this picture is if you imagine it happening right at the event horizon, then you'd expect all of the radiation to arise from the event horizon itself. But it doesn't. It arises wherever space is curved. And for practical purposes, this is within about 5 to 10 Schwarzschild radii of the event horizon itself. It occurs over a large-ish volume of space, not right at the edge. The reason this occurs 
is because radiation is produced because the quantum vacuum is different, because space is curved rather than flat, and the more severely curved it is, the more radiation you wind up emitting. That's where this radiation arises from, not from particle-antiparticle pairs at the event horizon itself. But despite this shortcoming, Hawking's calculations of the quantum vacuum in curved space and flat space were perfectly correct. This phenomenon is now known as Hawking radiation, and it is the black body radiation emitted by black holes of a specific mass just by the virtue of their existence and the curved space they create. This Hawking radiation brought up a new problem that still hasn't been resolved. This problem is known as the black hole information paradox. Think about what happens if you have a black hole and mass falling into it. Maybe it's a book, maybe it's a human being, maybe it's a cloud of gas at absolute zero. When this material falls in, that information, as we just said earlier, cannot be destroyed. The entropy has to be conserved somehow. And the way that entropy exists is it gets imprinted on the surface area of the black hole's event horizon. As you put more and more mass inside, the mass increases, the surface area increases, and so you have room to encode those bits of information. But now, if you consider Hawking radiation, if you consider the radiation that these black holes radiate and emit, this information doesn't exist. Black body radiation is just a pure thermal spectrum. And yet, if a black hole can evaporate away entirely, there's no way to conserve that information when a black hole decays. All of a sudden, you run into that same problem that we talked about at the beginning of this, where a cloud of gas or a human being or a book of equivalent mass would somehow release the same amount of entropy, the same amount of information from a black hole. Somehow, information, and therefore entropy, isn't being conserved. That's the black hole information paradox. Where does the information that went into creating the black hole, where does it go when a black hole completely evaporates away? We still think that information shouldn't be destroyed and entropy should never go down. So how do we explain the black hole evaporation scenario in this context? Is the second law of thermodynamics invalid when it comes to black hole evaporation? Or is the information somehow encoded in the radiation? We just don't know how yet. As Hawking himself said, any physical theory is always provisional in the sense that it is only a hypothesis. You can never prove it. No matter how many times the results of experiments agree with some theory, you can never be sure that the next time the result will not contradict the theory. So in this case, the second law of thermodynamics is a law that we have, and we believe we have to obey this law in every interaction. But perhaps when it comes to black hole evaporation, the second law doesn't apply 
at these final moments of evaporation. Perhaps somehow information is lost. Or perhaps that information is conserved, after all, by a mechanism we haven't simply discovered yet. As we mourn the passing of Stephen Hawking, let's celebrate his life and career and remember not only his greatest contribution to our understanding, Hawking radiation and the decay of black holes, but also the brilliant questions that his advances are allowing us to ponder. Perhaps someday we'll figure out the answers to these questions, problems, and puzzles as well. The Starts With a Bang podcast is made possible through the generous donations of our Patreon supporters. I couldn't do it without you guys, and I'd like to thank everyone donating at the $5 a month and above level to me, Starts With a Bang, on Patreon. Thanks go to Robert J. Hansen, Samir Kumar, Bakhtiar, Pavel Zuzelski, Chris Shaw, Thomas Sola, Denier, Pedro Texera, Igor Mitrofanov, Paulina, Jose Enrique, Frederick Martello, Sean Foley, Elver Sanasosa, Flo, Richard Jousey, DGE, John Kozura, Marcelo Barnaba, Nick Tomlinson, Rafal Wojcik, Danny, Alexander Marius, Gaijin, Andrew T. Douglas, Chris Hilly, Weller Tractor Salvage, Amy Thompson, Jeffrey Kidd, Dana Bridges, Kelly Kudrick, Richard Schwartz, Darren Redford, Mark, Nick Delroy, Ronan Yechazel, Ron Lyle, Frank, Fraser Kane, Steve Schaber, Naked Bunny with a Whip, Jason Bassanseni, Peter Williams, Mark Armstrong, Kevin Barnes, Patrick Dennis, Radek Nesbida, James Nance, Joe McFarlane, Amira Sosnick, Sidney Atwood, Harry Plumley, John Methot, Nathan Hanna, Tomas All, Glenn McDavid, Benjamin Turner, David Taschioni, Philip Radilovic, John Seal, Braxton Thomason, Karen Garrison, and Zarko Opacic. Thanks everyone for tuning in, and I'll see you next time here for more Starts with a Bang. <laughs>